Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. On this Monday of Holy Week, I want to uh, draw our attention to this journey that we've been on for several uh, weeks now, since the very beginning of Lent. It was a journey. It was a journey of love that Sayyidina Amba Sarafiyan described when he came and celebrated uh, the liturgy from us. Uh, it's a journey of repentance. It's a journey to the Kingdom of God. And as we journey on this road, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First off, number one, that as we've been journeying, we ourselves, yes, we began our lives only so many years ago. But we have been involved and incorporated, you could say it's in our genetics, it's in us. From the very beginning of time, there has been a journey towards God. It's a journey that He placed within us. He created us to go on this journey. And we have to really kind of take that into consideration because too often what we find in society and in our lives is that we become detoured. Because within us is this desire, within us is this desire to go on this journey, but we don't know the destination, we don't know the tools, and we don't know how to get to where we really want to be. I also want to remind you that for this year, I selected the verse from Ephesians chapter 3 that says uh, that the verse is very short that I want you to focus on, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This was St. Paul's desire for the Ephesians that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is also our you know, goal and destination or, or at least what we're focused on. And it plays into this journey. Ever since the fall, ever since we were kicked out of the garden, we have been surrounded by death. People ask, where is paradise? Where is this garden of Eden that God created with the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Where is it? Where was it? Was it somewhere between the Tigris and the Euphrates? Where is it now? And the answer is simple. It's dead. It died like everything else. It died the second sin entered into the world through the envy of the devil and death entered into the world through that. Everything dies. People die. Plants die, animals die. No matter what we achieve in this life, even our own legacy will die. Who remembers their ancestors? How far back can you go? Everything comes to nothingness. Everything becomes meaningless. And this is what we've been surrounded with. For, and this is also within our genetics. Not only do we die, but we are surrounded by tragedies. And these tragedies we need to fight against always. We have children dying young, the elderly dying alone, accidents happening to good people. Lives are lived and lived in a way that are unfulfilled. One person doesn't marry. 
or marries or divorces, one person is unable to bear children, one person dies in childbirth, one person is cheated on, one person is left to die by another. These are, and these are just simple tragedies that I'm just pointing out. Not to mention wars, slavery, rape, abortion, and so many other tragedies that are surrounding us in this life. Not only do we have this feeling that things can become meaningless, but they can become extremely painful. It can become a source of a lifetime of mental anguish and pain. There, you can come across an individual and not realize that by getting close to this individual will cause you a lifetime of anguish and pain. And people who experience the pain can lose hope in things getting better. And people who see others experiencing pain can also become distraught or they can become callous and not care. And when humans see life in this way, humans begin to develop philosophies about how to deal with this life. We can say it's, it's either I kill or be killed. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. Uh, or we can say, you know, if you aren't at the table with the big boys, I remember somebody saying this to me, if you're not at the table, you're what's for lunch. <laughs> better, you know, we could say, it, it's better that bad things happen to other people and not to me. Or we can say, it's not my problem, it's their problem. Or, in so many variations we hear, life stinks and then you die. Or, very profoundly, very truthfully, people's aspect or the way they look at life is the second you're born, you start dying. And I'm sure there's others. And with these philosophies, humans discovered that everything dies and so they set out to live a life which they believe or they try to believe is full of meaning. So humans set out to be the masters and to depend on nothing but themselves. They set out to create instant gratification. They set out to be happy now. They want to live lives where there's no pain. They want to avoid pain at all costs. They want to forget about the fact that life is meaningless. They want to forget about the fact that they are going to die even if it causes another person pain, just as long as they themselves don't have to suffer. I don't think I'm making this up. I think we can all understand and see this in our society and in our lives. Avoid pain, forget about death, live life to the, to the fullest, to the greatest, to whatever. This all comes from, first, the idea that everything stinks, and second, that I gotta make the most out of this life. And so what do humans do? They set out to acquire materials, materials like materialistics, right? We're materialistic, right? We acquire materials, whether through war or through trade, through slavery or through theft. This is the history. We set out, or humans have set out to acquire and consume anything that would make this miserable life a little bit of a better experience. And some people work hard for, what they, for the materials that they own. Others steal from those people that have worked hard. Some are content to live with a little, and others are not content to, with what they have, and so they even want to steal the little that another person has. Humans have tried to achieve happiness through possessions, 
through materialism, through living that best life now. Dead things that could not be taken with you when you died. These are all dead things. I mean, of course, the Egyptians created pyramids, right? And they shoved all of this material stuff inside, hoping and praying that in the afterlife it would be of use to them. But humans began to realize that no matter how much they achieve, no matter how much they obtain, and no matter how much they consume, and no matter how much they own, they realize that it's all vanity of vanities. Nothing can satisfy us in our humanity. There are books written about this. There are movies made about this simple point. You see, we were created with deep desire to live. We were created with this desire of immortality. It's in us. It's not something we imagined. We're created with this deep desire within us to live and to live more than just in this world and in this time. We were given life and we were given within us, we were created to have a desire for being immortal. And, and you go to any religion, and in, humans have sought this in every religion, and in different accomplishments, they've sought to be remembered. If I build this statue of myself, I will be remembered. If I build this bridge or this building, I will be remembered. If I write this book, if I discover something, if I create something, if I paint something, I will be remembered. But those successes only create short-lived memories. And we've created religions, humans have created religions to answer questions beyond our humanity. You know, different families of gods among the Egyptians and among the Greeks and different stories about creation and about life on earth and about where humans will go afterwards. And most of these religions held God in a way that basically the gods didn't really care much about humanity. But beyond, or sorry, but before we could contemplate God, we had to do something of a switch. We had to imagine something different. We had to think about life differently. Instead of focusing on the misery, instead of focusing on the negativity, instead of trying to accomplish immortality through the possessions of this world, we needed to overcome and shake this idea of a miserable life and a miserable existence. With all the horror, with all the tragedy that occurs in this life, we could not continue to focus on the terrible things of this life. Because if we do, it produces within us a philosophy called nihilism. Nihilism is this idea that nothing matters, everything is going to return to nothing, it doesn't matter. Nothing, I, I can't, that, that's the word in, in Latin, nihil, N-I-H-I-L, nothing. Nothingness, everything's going to return to nothingness, and so that's why nothing matters. And this depressing outlook on humanity and, and a worldview, this is what causes people to to pick up a gun and just go into a Kmart and start shooting at people or shooting at kids because they believe. It doesn't matter. We're all going to nothing. It doesn't matter. I'm going out in this, in this way, shape, or form. And those kids, it doesn't matter if I kill them or not because it, everything is just nothing. And we'll go to nothing. How do we, in a word, how do we switch our focus? 
There's one word that Christ gave us. There's one word that John the Baptist gave us. It was this word, metania. Metania, it's not just a prostration, but it is a turnaround. It is a change. It is a focus on something different. That's the only way we can get out of this depression. That's the only way that humanity can see something different because God placed in us this desire for something greater. When humanity began its metania, it turned from contemplating the present life and all of its ups and downs, it turned from contemplating this world with all of its horrors and tragedies and began to contemplate something greater. It began a quest to know who is God. This happens not only in the greater scheme of humanity, but it happens in each and every one of us. There becomes a point, or there comes a point in our life where we need something greater than what's happening. We need something that's more meaningful, that's more purposeful, that's, that's beyond us. And we start to strive, and, and you could say grope in the dark, to grasp onto God. Why is it in the dark? Because it's a journey and it's a quest. And all of this is coming back to that idea of this, this journey of Lent. We're also on a journey of Holy Week and we are in the grand scheme of things on a journey ourselves to be filled with all the fullness of God. You might not know that you're on this journey, but you're on that journey. You might not think that, that this is a priority, but one day you'll wake up and realize this is the only thing that matters in my life. This is the only journey that's of purpose, to be filled with all the fullness of God. And in this journey, as humanity was striving and struggling, God reveals Himself to Moses in such a profound way. When He says to Moses, Moses asks Him, what's your name? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses says, okay, but what's your name? He says, I am. He doesn't say a name. He doesn't say, call me X, Y, or Z. He says, I am. The one who is. We say, yeah, I am who I am, or the one who is, or he who is, or I am dot, dot, dot. There's different ways because it's such a difficult word to translate. But we begin with our words to start to comprehend the incomprehensible that God is. But God is. He just is. It's being. It's not like He has to prove Himself like, oh, you see that rock over there? I made it. Or you see that moon over there? I made it. He has nothing to prove to us. I am the God of that moon. I am the God of the sun. No. He has nothing to prove to us. He is. And why that's so profound? Because He, and he doesn't need to prove His Godness. All He has to do is just direct us to thinking and contemplating who is He? In our contemplating God, He also placed two, another thing. I said we, He gave us this desire for immortality, and that's going to come into play in a little bit. He also placed in us this desire for beauty. And a lot's been written on this, but I can't, I can't get into that. But there's a whole, you know, for thousands of years, people have understood this idea of God and beauty being connected together. And isn't that what we look for all the time? We want a beautiful spouse. We want beautiful children. We want a beautiful house. 
We want to see a beautiful sunrise and a beautiful sunset. We want to be living in a beautiful area around beautiful people. We want our church to be beautiful. What is it that we're striving for? This, this desire for beauty is never satiated. I am never full of beauty. I can't just say, see one uh, beautiful uh, painting and say, that's enough. Or one beautiful sunrise and say, I'm full now. We always want to see more because beauty is related to God. And we see God in beauty. And so when we are striving for God, we start to see Him in the beauty of the moon, in the beauty of the stars. We see Him in the beauty of nature. We see Him in the beauty of others. We see God in other people. And as we struggle and we strive for this, to see beauty, we have now within us this desire to know God more and more. And that desire He gives to us. Now, you know, as we, as we, one of the fathers wrote that, you know, we become hungry slowly over time. We become hung, more and more hungry. But when we become thirsty, it hits us and it's, it, there's not enough, like, you know, just to think about being thirsty is this insatiable desire. When I am thirsty, I need to drink something and I need to drink a lot of it. Even though I know that after a time, I'm going to be thirsty again. And so that desire is always within me. I need to constantly drink. And that desire for, which is in us is also a desire for God. To see the beauty of God and to know more about God. Because God is infinite. And no matter how far we progress or we get closer to God, the further we feel, but where else are we going to go? When Peter, when Christ asked Peter, do you also want to leave me? After he said, I, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. And we've come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have nowhere else to go. When we're not going to be able to satisfy this thirst and this desire within us, neither of immortality nor of beauty in anything else but in God. And this has been placed in us, and we thank God that this has been placed in us. And this desire within us is the language, as one of the Gregory said, this is the language of our soul, this desire. When we talk about God as love, I'm going to try to make this next part as G-rated as possible. We talk about God as love, we're talking about love not just as agape, but as eros. And Eros love, we think about Eros love as the love between a husband and a wife. But there is an insatiable desire there that no matter how much we, the, the husband and the wife love each other, it is never enough. There is always more. There is always that more desire. Is that G-rated enough? I hope so. <laughs> this idea is that, is that that love continues to grow and, and, and God Himself describes Himself this way, even in the Old Testament. Some of the mo and we're going to hear lots of those images in the Old Testament. That God says to His people, You are an adulterous wife, and I am your faithful husband who is running after you constantly. Under every tree and on top of every hill you have played the harlot. He says, But God is faithful. Israel might be unfaithful, but God is faithful. And God keeps His covenant with us. And, you know, this week we're also going to meditate on God, uh, Christ as the Bridegroom, which is one of those ancient titles of Him.
So here we find ourselves with this desire for beauty and for immortality which leads us to God. We love to contemplate God in many different ways, but we have to understand that this can only be satiated in a relationship with God. Just like the love between a husband and a wife can only be, uh, can only be, um, what did I just say? That's the, satiated, right? It only can be fulfilled, right? It can't be fulfilled, you know, long distance. It has to be in a relationship, a real relationship. The difference is this. St. Gregory has a wonderful example. He says, if someone is making a journey in the middle of the day when the sun is, uh, is scorching hot on their head and the heat dries up every liquid in the body and under one's feet the ground is hard and difficult to walk on and it's waterless. And then such a person were to encounter a spring that was splendid and transparent and pleasing and refreshing with streams pouring out abundantly. Will that person sit down by the water and begin to reason about its nature, seeking, about, uh, seeking out wh where it came from or how or from what or all such things that idle speakers often speak about and judge, for example? Isn't it certain that the moisture which exists in the depths of the earth that comes to the surface under pressure and becomes water or its canals or where its, where its, its, its source is or where its end will be, is that what a person will do when they come to that water? No. He will bend down, rather. He will say farewell to all rational deliberations. He will bend his head to the stream. He will press his lips to the water and he will quench his thirst. He will refresh his tongue. He will satisfy his desire and give thanks to the one who gave him this grace. Therefore, we have to imitate those who are thirsty. For us during this week, let us be those who are thirsty. Let us actually be thirsty too. Let's not quench our physical thirst to remind ourselves that this is how much I need to desire Christ in this week. This is the week where we put aside all of our, our other issues. We put aside everything else that's pressing. Nothing is pressing except our relationship with Christ and we walk with him and he walks with us we sing to him and we say yours is the power the glory the blessing the majesty now and forever and he returns that by being with us by being in us by satiating that desire that we have for him he fills us our desire for him he fills us our desire to give him a good word to give him comfort and encouragement He's the one that comforts us. He's the one that says to us, weep not, weep not. As we desire Him, He will become more and more real in our hearts. This is our only focus. This is our only direction. As we go from week, from day to day this evening, I hope to build on this first thing, this first point, this desire, this thirst for God, this, this desire to have Him fully and completely within us. God willing, we'll build on this. To God be the glory, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and ever into age of all ages. Amen.